Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for downloading this week's Attacking Scrum podcast. Always a bitter pill to swallow when you lose to the old enemy. But hopefully it's not too painful a listen as uh, this week was joined by Yestin George, who regular listeners will know he's normally one of our more pessimistic co-hosts, but we found him in very optimistic mood this week. So he's got all of your all of your reasons to be cheerful off the back of uh, off the back of that very close game at Twickenham. Uh, and as you can imagine, we get stuck into everything from the Tuolangi sending off the bizarre Joe Marler ball cupping incident and uh, that most magnificent Justin Tipperick try. So we've got absolutely everything in there covered for you. We've also got some tickets to give away. So make sure you listen right to the end of the pod. Thanks to our friends at the Indigo Group. They've provided us with a pair of tickets to Wales versus Scotland. So make sure you listen to the end and find out who has won them. Who knows, if you entered, it could be you, uh, as the National Lottery famously said. And uh, also, as always, a big thanks to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Uh, Make sure you get... Your, your coffee from them and you can do that over at socoffeetrades.co.uk finally I suppose a, a genuinely sad note to finish on and that's uh, the the passing of, of Matthew J Watkins which you'll no doubt have seen on the coverage and uh, it broke on social media on the on the Saturday as well and what a, what a terribly sad story that that, that is and you know a player who I really enjoyed watching when he was at, at Newport and at the Dragons, and he was he was fantastic for uh, for the Scarlets as well. Obviously, number of caps for Wales, and uh, in amongst all of that, it's just an incredibly sad story of, that a man at the age of forty one has uh, has lost his life to such a cruel disease. But again, anyone who's who's ever seen any any interviews with Matthew J or uh, you know, has spoken to anyone who played with him will know what an incredibly optimistic character is. And, uh, you know, on a day when we're talking about optimism off the back of a Wales result, it's a timely reminder that it's, it is just a game. Uh, so yeah, a very sad, um, a very sad bit of news this week, but of course, um, you know, a huge amount of, a huge amount of, um, joy that he brought to, to fans of those teams. So yeah, this uh, this episode is uh, is obviously dedicated to Matthew J. Walking. 
Mervyn Davis takes the tap down from Peter Brown. It's beautifully laid back for Gareth Edwards. Edwards over the Welsh Yard line, over halfway. The kick ahead by Edwards. Can he score? It would be a miracle if he could. He may well get there. And he has. There are a few things that are quite as irritating as losing to England in the Six Nations. Uh, Ed Sheeran, possibly, is the only thing I can think of that is is comparable. But here to help us through those things is the most unlikely of sources, a man usually who comes on this podcast with more than more than a big dose of melancholia, uh, but he promises to be the Bobby Ball of rugby this evening. It's a big welcome to Weston, to Yeston uh, George. How are you, Yeston? I'm very well, thank you. Although I, I quite like that name, Weston George. Weston <laughs> George. It's better than it's better than Leston, which is my st- the standard. Uh, that's, that's what I get most of the time. <laughs> which does, does my head in. Oh God, just that's yeah, mistaking it for a, more and more irritating. Uh, th- thinking that you'd, you'd just forgotten to use caps, your capital letter on your own name. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the curse of the sans serif font, as I always yeah. tell people. The curse of the sans serif font. What a wonderful, wonderful thing to start with. Yeah. Uh, let's di- let's dive straight into this. Uh, you promised me a big dose of optimism, Justin. What uh, what can you offer me then? Um, well, I, I genuinely I genuinely keep on with every game. I I, I sort of. I feel more philosophical, um, and I feel very philosophical after yesterday. Clearly, we weren't uh, at the races in terms of we, you know, we, the the final score flattered us mm. quite a lot. Um, but I genuinely think, unlike the uh, England um, and Ireland game, we were not blown away, which I thought we, mm. I think all of us uh, feared that we could have been. And I think that uh, we um, we found spaces, which I think uh, in that with that wall of white, which is a a, a very daunting prospect, was quite um, was quite something that there were they you know the the team managed to find a way during the the pattern of play, whereby it looked like they could find spaces. Okay, they didn't take full advantage of them. But uh, I thought that was uh, um, that was a note of optimism. And the other thing is that I think Pivac and his coaching team are getting the best out of several players um, from you know from 15 to one. Uh, that that we're getting more out of them, perhaps than than we might expect. So I don't think any I don't think any of the players are underperforming. And I, I think that, you know, we we deserved to be playing a team of 13 because of the way the, the, way the Wales um, put pressure on them. Mm. So that wasn't like uh, the 16th man, as, as uh, Eddie Jones claimed. It was very much a case of Wales put England under that kind of pressure where they ended up playing with 13. So there's lots of stuff to, um, to take away from it. I think. Well, it's a nice it's a nice summary there, and you've you've touched on quite a few points. Now, the Eddie Jones one, as you can imagine, has really wound me up. Uh, so I'm sure I'll I'll be 
unloading on that one uh, fairly shortly. But one thing I was really keen to get your take on, and I genuinely thought of you when this happened yesterday, was that try straight from the kickoff in the second half. I bet, yeah. you know, I genuinely, as, as it happened, it was one of the most beautiful tries I've ever seen from a, uh, from a Wales side. And I can imagine you watching that and almost it, it rewinding to a, to a, to a different age, you know, your, your hair is, is going back from, back from being gray to its natural color and it's growing long and, and you, you feel like you're a, a much younger man again, watching that yesterday. It was ridiculous. Um, <clears throat> even my, my son who, uh, chip off the old block, uh, <laughs> although more, more, you know, big 20 is, uh, marginally more, opt- has a slightly more optimistic worldview than me. Uh, he was, yeah, he was, it was amazing. Uh, I was, I was actually just in the process of responding to a flurry of, oh, this is the worst day of my life kind of texts from friends. Um, you know, uh, many of whom were saying, you know, I have to endure this. Plus I live in England, which makes it even worse. Uh, and I was saying, you know, if we get the first score in the second half, you never know. And it's, it's just, I'm texting this just as Tomkins gathers a ball. And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, this is not something I'm used to. So like, uh, I definitely am not the sort of person who thinks he can make history happen in front of his eyes. But yeah. I, eight seconds later, I suddenly thought I was, I was, I had magical properties in my fingers. I, I know, you know, again, it was, there was something quite cruel about it. I, again, you're doing the optimism and I'm doing the pessimism tonight because it was almost uh, modern rugby in, um, in a nutshell was it ha- all happened in the space of a minute. You had the kickoff, this most wonderful try, you know, that the brought out this joy in me that I didn't know existed. And then to concede a penalty straight after it's, you know, it's one of those things in that, that professional, um, that professional era of rugby that we watch now, that when you give away that penalty, it means three points. And, and I actually think that was the most critical three points in the entire game. It's, uh, you know, so instantly that kind of, that seven point, that seven point swing, almost that 10 point swing from, from half time, it's then back, it's pegged back straight away by a, by a soft penalty. So it's, it's one of those things. It, it's the hope that kills you. I always say. Well, that's, you just, uh, you just, didn't even paraphrase you you quoted one of my texts uh, uh straight <laughs> after that try um but they yeah the i think for me the, the the not the turning point necessarily but the point at which i did think we we were not going to get get anywhere near was the hilarious uh line out where mm. There were a couple of lineups where you could see ken was shrugging his shoulders as if to say well, well, what am i supposed to do yeah. there boy and um and he, I don't understand why, why, why Ken threw the the ball into the line, and, uh, and not a single player, even vaguely, uh, was prepared to lift or jump or anything else. And that was the point at which I was just thinking, oh, here we go. You know, this is this is this is this is going back to uh, pre-Gatlin times. Yeah. And I, no, I was not. Uh, yeah, I really didn't. I, I really did. Uh, I thought that was fairly desperate because we are traditionally, even obviously in Gatlin's era, we were particularly bad at, you know, kick the win a penalty, kick the ball into their 22 and then chuck the ball straight into the opposition's sort of uh, second row's hands. But uh, the, again, you know, the 
just so many. I, I just felt that they were there or thereabouts. And I, I know what you mean about the swing, but at the same mm-hmm. time, the, France did the same today where, uh, you know, they, the Scott, they conceded straight after. It's almost as, it's, there are a few teams. It is common. Yeah, consider. it's common. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It just feels like one of those things that if that had happened in the if that had happened in the seventies, and it was it was a reminiscent Wales in the seventies kind of try, wasn't it? It was it was something out of nothing, slick passing. Every pass went to hand. You kind of got the feeling that if a penalty had been conceded in the in the seventies straight after that, you know, goal kickers weren't what they were, so it wouldn't necessarily have equated to to three anyway. And so I don't know. Not that any of that, not that any of that matters because it is twenty twenty and not. 1974 but um but you but do want to see players stretch their legs there were even a moment where jake ball stretched his legs on yeah. on blind side and he just there is a, obviously none finer sight than they would the the play up to tipperick mm. get all in his hands was something but then when tipperick just put the burners on you just thought oh this is just this is just glorious yeah, and, and you know, what? and that's that's what that, that is what you you live for as a fan, isn't it? Is those those moments that really make you jump out of your seat. And uh, and again, I think, oh God, I'm really moaning about the modern era of rugby at the moment. But it's you know, it's one of those where you so often get the TMO involved. And I we, I had it during um during the France game during the World Cup when. Thomas Williams stripped the ball and it was up in the air and it, I can't remember who went out. Was it Tipperick who went over in the end in that, uh, in that game, in the quarterfinal? I think it was. Yeah. And um, when that happened, I didn't, I didn't celebrate. I was like, I, this is going to go back. I was like, this, this will be reviewed. This will be reviewed. This will be reviewed. And in the end, it ends up being more a sense of relief than excitement. Whereas yesterday, that moment in time, I was up out of my seat and shouting, even though my daughter was asleep in the next room, it was one of those uncontrollable things and that is that is a magical thing and that's what watching rugby is all about yeah and I, I, i'm not being overly romantic by saying you know this is this is what we are now looking for this is what we're there this is what we're there for it's not uh, this is what you are expecting or hoping anyway to see from the new um the new generation well we're definitely going to come back to this as we look in further detail at the england game and also look ahead to to scotland and beyond and and what to make of wayne pivak's first six nations in charge but one of the major talking points of the game was the two alangi red cards let's get your take on that first up uh looked looked hard in it looked Hard on to Laggy in there, in at the first, mm. but it was it was exactly it 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 was it was warranted. But there, I think those corner flag tackles, I'd say two out of three of those uh, often are people. Uh, I I've definitely seen Halfpenny do that, mm. uh, but isn't perhaps as um, physical. Uh, a player so therefore doesn't attract that kind of attention but I've definitely you see that all the time in rugby in uh, all levels where players will do anything they can physically do to get the player out of the pitch so I feel 
I don't feel sorry for him. And I think it was within the letter of the law. But at the same time, I can understand why people say uh, why, why they, you know, that, that it does happen a lot. It happens a lot more than um, just once, once a game, even, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I, yeah, I, it was noticeable that when he, when obviously England's players were all jumping up and down and they were, they were embracing Slade and Tulagi actually, I, I watched it quite carefully, looked sort of slunk to the back and they were sort of looking for him to, to pat him on the back, but he wasn't really having any of it. I've got mm-hmm. a gut feeling that he thought it was coming. That that they were gonna um, they were gonna they were gonna have another look at it. So it's quite noticeable that uh, what his physical demeanour was at, straight after. He certainly wasn't. Yeah, giving, no, yeah. giving it large like Luke Houndick. What Luke Houndick? He's not annoying, is he? <laughs> God. I do you know what this this, is, this shows how good England are getting right because for a long period of time, I would say the last probably ten years, I have not felt. Like I've, you know, hate's a strong word, but you know, when it comes to rugby, you, you, you do hate, you hate England, right? You hate losing to England. There's players you look at and you say, oh, I hate him. I hate him. And, you know, you don't mean it in the, but you do, in the sporting sense, you do, right? There's certain players. I can, I can look back at most of that England 2003 side now. And go, I don't hate, I don't hate those players because they've stopped playing with the exception of Matt Dawson. And, Whereas now I look at this and I go, God, this thing side really gets under my skin. And I think it is play. It's testament to a, how good they are. But for like a period of 10 years, particularly when they're under Stuart Lancaster, I almost felt sorry for them a bit. You know, I thought, Oh, they, they felt like humans rather than England rugby players. And a testament to how annoying they are that Maro Itoje actually comes across as one of the more reasonable ones in the group yeah. now. Yeah. He's, I mean, he is some player mind, isn't he? I think he's yeah. just, uh, he looks like he's so much bigger and quicker than everyone else. It's, it is like something out of a video game where the, the stats have been altered so that he can cover more ground and be more powerful. I, I, I think he's really, he's kicked on and on and on. And there was a little period of time where I wondered how just, you know, whether the hype was warranted because he gave away quite a lot of silly penalties, but he's, he is the real deal. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. And Lord's had a stormer as well. I think uh, he looked um, he looked very he went flew a little bit under the radar really mm. by, um, by by his standards. He's he, he seems to do the the harder work rather than just the flashy take out the yeah. smash the twelve stone outside half into into next week. Which does bring us back talking of smashing outside halves to the Tui Lange incident. Now, for me, I, I something about it didn't look right in in real time to me. I thought this doesn't look. You know, I, there was the roars from the crowd and everything, and I looked at it and thought doesn't look right the way the way North went down. Because for all George North's, you know, the blows he has to the head, he doesn't he doesn't milk it looking for penalties. You know, I think, you know, sometimes the way that Sexton has gone down, people said he's there, he looked to work. I don't think George does at all. Generally, when he goes down, there's a sense of worry because he's had so many blows to the head. And I thought, oh, God, there's something else has happened here. To be honest, I thought that's about as clear cut a red card as you're going to get in this day and age. Was it reckless? Was it to the head? Yes. Were there mitigating circumstances? Possibly. But if you lead with no arms, shoulders, flying into the head I think you expect to get a red card and if if we're serious about 
changing the tackle area in order to in order to prevent concussions and improve player safety. And then that's the most straightforward red card you'll ever see. And as for Eddie Jones's sanctimonious response, you know, to say that they were the 16th, you know, the, the referee was Wales's 16th man. It's just, and I know he's doing it as a, as a deflecting tactic, keep all the attention on me, keep the pressure off my players. I get that. But when it's just as, as ridiculous as that, he deserves to be called out on it. And yeah, it, it drove me mad because I thought that was a that was a straightforward red, and they got it right. The yellow was repeated penalties. I mean, I, I can't. I think Farrell had four penalties on his own in the first twenty minutes of the game. But I'm. But at the same time, that's not why we lost. And you get those decisions if you're playing at home a lot of the times. But it's just ridiculous for him to come out and and try and say that that's uh, that that was in any way a massive factor on the game. Yes, Wales. Yeah, Nicky Robinson was saying um, on the Scrum Five um, pods that uh, the the press room just sort of uh, there was like a frisson of electricity as soon as he said the words because everybody had their coffee for tomorrow. You know, it's yeah. just it's just that everybody's ha- everybody leaves the room happy because Eddie said the dumb thing. But it's uh, it, I, in terms of mitigating circumstances, there can't be any anyway. All my my only question is the fact that that uh, there it happens more often than than that than once a game. It happens a lot in the corner. You know, the, the, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with, with people when people are knocking people into touch, particularly mm. in the corners. Yeah, no, I, I I I do agree with that, but I just think it's it's one of those. I think the World Cup actually has made these things really clear cut. If your shoulder hits the head, and and you know there there was one with Hadley Parks in the first half that was only a penalty, you know I think that that probably could have been a yellow. I've seen yellows given for that. I don't think there was any intent, but you have seen those. It just it just starts to eliminate any doubt. If you start reneging and saying that's only a yellow for something as you know, and and the way to Alangi tackles right, he tackles really hard, but he doesn't. He, a lot of the time, he is just using his shoulder. I would argue that one on bigger right at the start of the game was a shoulder, and I think you, I've seen them given as penalties. I don't know, mate. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just seeing this so completely one-eyed, but for me, I don't know. I, it was just the most straightforward, really clear cut in this current climate red card. The fact that it happened at Twickenham is the reason why Eddie Jones has got his knickers in the twist. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. But there we go. Uh, right, let's let's move on uh, and talk about some of those positives which you you've touched on. I suppose a lot of it comes down to the stability that we've had under Gatlin. We've we've not uh, we yeah we've we've not had that at any real point in in Wales's history post the seventies. You know that that level of of consistent we certainly never had it in the professional era now obviously Wayne Pivak coming in and inheriting that is going to be a tough job do we need to remember that this is a side in transition or is that not a legitimate excuse uh, yeah absolutely I just don't I don't understand our psyche where we're I understand that way we've got used to a, a certain predictability but that was this, the very thing that we were complaining about for a, at least six years of Gatlin's reign. It's just ludicrous that that we are now even the most, even those people, and I'm, you know, usually obviously watching TV, 
with pundits saying, you know, there are, it's very amusing watching back the commentary, the live commentary, particularly on S4C, mm. because everybody's going, oh, here we go, we're going to get smashed now, basically. And oh look, there were there, again. We've you know we've 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 spilled a, an opportunity. The, the, you know we we need to be more consistent. We need to be more more predictable. We need to be safer. We we need to be playing the percentages more. It's, uh, uh, these are the very same people who bemoaned the fact that that we were doing that for the for a considerable part of Gatlin's reign with considerable criticism of it. It just seems it seems totally hypocritical. I think we just have to go with what we've got, and it, and it could be a lot worse because obviously the 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 legacy of Gatland is that he's brought a, a bunch of players through and worked with them, and they are world class. And there are there's promise there, and hopefully, you know, it's set a, a precedent whereby maybe it's it it will last longer than maybe 18 months or two years and perhaps there will be players who will come through and it perhaps it set a better standard for for the long-term future of the international game in Wales I don't know if it will but you've just got to go with what you've got and I don't I really don't think there's a lot you can a lot you can criticize them for on the basis of what's happened in the last three games yeah, I, I, the, the the main criticism I think is is the result. The only thing for me that is a, a worrying sign, and again I've tried to be fairly balanced in the last couple of weeks in the wake of these defeats because I think that while we were kind of blown away in Ireland, still could have won the game. France sloppy and gave away soft tries, still could have won the game. England, you know, like likewise, really, we were we were in that game for sure. But the thing that, that it keeps coming back to is is defence. Now, again, I don't know how much of this is we're getting the system wrong versus it just needs time to click. But I think sides are finding holes very, very easily in our defence, and that's the area that I'm I'm most concerned about. But how you exactly how you how you change that four games into a you know, into a new a new coaching regime. I I'm not sure. I think I think you, you could. I, I'd be very surprised if there is if there is a change to the system anytime soon. I think it's just going to have to be a question of we're going to have to get a lot better at playing this way. The 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 Watson try I found really annoying. Uh, yeah, no no question. It, it was naive. It felt naive. But that's not that. That's a defensive issue. Mm. Uh, and clearly, obviously, the head coach is directly responsible. You know, to, to has to take the the ultimate responsibility for that. But it was a. It, there are mistakes. You're you're right. There are more errors. There are genuine errors. And I think maybe players were fearful of making those errors, and always had a had their first thought was, "Don't make mistakes." Uh, the, the, the perhaps their mental sort of focus was their priority was on ensuring that there would be very very few mistakes in a game. Mm. Uh, but it, it yeah, there's no question that the that there are fundamental errors, not just the sort of unfortunate pass to Parks, who you know unsympathetic Parks, you know pass to Parks or 
or, or a knock on here, here, here and there. It, 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 that was a, a piece of what appeared to be naivety at that level. You don't want to see that. Yeah, and I think it's the, the frustrating thing with that is as well is we conceded a very soft try against France in similar circumstances where they'd just done their homework on the way we on the way we defend lineouts and okay. had said, right, let's exploit it. You know they would have practiced it every day in training. And I, I imagine Ben Youngs couldn't believe his eyes when he uh you know, when uh, he saw that gap open up and pass the ball back inside. Which I'd, I'd say the same I'd say the same, sorry, about the the the, the first, the French try where the yep. ball went up in the air, that was, the, I, I, I had a feeling that, that that was naivety as well in that three players were drawn towards the ball and they wouldn't have been perhaps 12 months ago or six months ago. No, I think you're absolutely right. Which, and again, just a quick point before we go for a break with, with Ben Youngs, I don't know what it is, but he seems to save his best games for against us and against Australia. I think, you know, you've got 99 caps and all his best performances seem to be against us and against Australia. I'm sure of it. He did look good, didn't he? He really did look good. And, I, and I'm beginning, bearing in mind, I, I've always loathed him after scoring a try as a kid and running down the touchline at Stradi, uh, you know, when he was playing for Leicester. And shushing the crowd, I, I, I just thought that was, I've always hated him since then, really, <laughs> rather than what he's done in a white shirt. And I'm actually kind of like sort of vaguely fond of him now because he's had his share of, you know, share of hard times as well, uh, uh, particularly uh, had a lot of criticism anyway. Mm. Yeah, but, and you, you know, if I'm honest, I've, I've never been the biggest admirer of him as a player. I no. always thought that, you know, I found it strange that England had struggled to produce a, a nine capable of challenging him. Uh, but at the same time, you've just got to admire the character. You know, even now he's, you know, he's under, he's been under a lot of criticism. You got to admire the character to pull a performance like that out of the bag. And, um, and he, he certainly did that. And it was probably a deserved man of the match award, if I'm honest. We've yeah. still got loads to get through. So we're going to, we're going to talk more in the second half about more strange, uh, strange goings on, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, a different kind of tackle. And uh, we're also going to have a look ahead to the Scotland game. If it manages to, uh, if it manages to go ahead and generally, we're going to dig deep further into this uh, into this whole how Wayne Pivak is getting on as head coach scenario. So all of that is coming up in the second half. But first, we're going to have a very quick break. This is Keelan Jaws, and you're listening to Attack and Scrum, sponsored by So Coffee Trades. Well, I've mentioned the Tuolangi decision with regards to the red cards, something that wasn't penalised on the day was uh, a slightly bizarre incident between Joe Marler and Alan Wynne-Jones where uh, Joe Marler appears to to grab him by the short and curlies. Um, what the hell is going on there? Should something have been done on the day? And can Joe Marler expect a hefty ban off the back of this? Or is it just rugby banter at its best? I was really surprised that it that it didn't get referred mm. uh and i was more marla one of the things i was i noticed that when he was chatting to roman Poit as well uh, sort of trying to referee the line out that uh, he 
I think he just feels like he's completely in charge of the whole operation. Mm. But it was, it was just re- it was so remarkable. And Malamix has now made a career out of being so so left field. Uh, it, it, you know that that that's what draws all the attention towards him. I, I I'm glad in a way that Alan Wynn didn't just laugh it off as well. Because, well, yeah, it, it, it's, I don't know, uh, they were talking, again, people were saying that this is what Exeter do, and they do it in celebration, and it's mm. a love, and it's a bit of an in-joke, etc., etc. Uh, it's, it's just, it's just stupid. I don't know whether it's a citation issue, really. I don't know. Do you think? Do you think it's that I serious? Can, I can see it happening. I mean, again, I, I sound like I'm I'm just being a really kind of salty, sore Welsh loser on these things, but uh, it's just a strange. I, I don't know if it's just my um, allergy to the whole kind of rugby bants thing that I, you know, I can't stand all that, all that kind of old school rugby, you know, drinking a pint out of a sock and rubbing each other's cock and all this kind of stuff that. I, I, that part of me just wants to see it kind of get get punished, but it's just the whole yeah the whole niggliness of it. I mean, I, I think again that there, there are directives on it. I think they're designed more towards if you've you know if you've really squeezed an opponent's testicles in order to to gain an advantage. You know, I think that's that's mainly what they're there for. But there are there are rules about it, and um, I don't know. It's just one of those things. It's like. It's just an annoyance. In a way, I was I was pleased to see uh, to see Owen Farrell get penalised for, you know, for just generally being a dick after George North knocked the ball off. Yeah. And so rare. So it is rare. rare. And and to be fair, and I know people trying to put you know put a level of balance on this. People would turn around and say, oh, "What about Dan Bigger generally waving his his arms in the referee's face and stuff like that?" And again, it doesn't particularly bother me when Bigger does this, but. Likewise, if the, if they were to penalise and say no, back you go ten yards, which they do, you know what they probably should, and because my, my view of it is just Dan Bigger is the ultimate competitor. I'm sure it's the same as Irish Irish fans watching Sexton do the same thing. Ultimate competitor, ultimate advantage. But if the referees stamp it out, then that's fair enough, and you can have no complaints. You'd then say, why is Dan shooting his mouth off? But you can guarantee in both of those cases neither of them would step over the line again because they don't want to cost their sides. So it's just kind of one of those things that it's just like, I think you just have to stamp it out as, as officials. And so, yeah, do you know what? I, I, I'd just be inclined to go, you know, do we really want players wandering around? I know, you know, I know way worse things happen in the old days and, you know, you'd have players, you'd have players in scrums with their fingers and hands everywhere in order to get an advantage. But I just think in the in the top level of the game, are we not a bit past that now? We used to, yeah. In school, we had there was a prop called Leighton Gerard who played for Aberavon, and he was he played for Kuntawa, who were our arch rivals. And uh, the the tactic was always to rub Vaseline in his eye in the first scrum, mm. and then there would be a big fight, and he would get sent off. Our prop would get sent off, but that meant that we only had to deal with Rob Jones at nine and Steph Jones at ten, and not Leighton Gerard. At, pushing our scrum backwards as well. So, I mean, we had so many problems to deal with. That was the only way we could deal with uh, with that particular one. 
but that, you know what that's it and you know i know that yeah the whole dark art stuff it's it's there maybe i'm you know part of this the game's going soft you know the the opposite to that you know maybe i'm just a rugby snowflake i don't know there's, there's something in the point I, which isn't Marla related but about the players ref in the game and obviously on ref mike today in the they they the referee was handled scotland's yeah uh, well done you'll make a referee one day and all these kind of mm-hmm. starky comments from the ref to the players who were who were who were trying to influence but there's no question that Marla talking to poit and and the way that uh farrell was talking to the referee that they, they, they are there's so much chat I, there may have all, all always been chat but it does seem to have reached maybe it's just again because we are hearing more of it off the off the microphone from the referee but i i, I hate i also hate the phrase sir as well I, i've always found that really really unpleasant the, the sort of this this ridiculous offside sir Mm. Shut up. But that, talking, that, my, talking of offside, sir, if there's one thing I could change about rugby right now, apart from banning the box kick, uh, it would be it would be just policing offside. Like I'd give I'd give the TMO that as a I'd have someone up there and just just what you've got so many good angles, you could just go offside blue, offside again, offside again. Because it, it is a tough job for a referee to to police that. But if you've got if you've got a TMO there, just just do it. Just go because the defences are so good now. And they're they're up so quickly that you can't tell if you're a referee half the time, and most of the time, or not most of the time, but on huge amounts of occasions, sides are offside. Uh, you know, the best defensive sides are, uh, are past the back foot, and it'd be just one of those things. I think you could iron out quite easily. There's a few others though, aren't there? Going in from the side seems to be okay at, right now at the moment. Very rarely do people get penalty penalties for going into the wreck yeah. from from the side. And obviously, going off your feet, that's it's so random because you see people doing that all the time. I, uh, I believe that that has been uh, one of the talking points. Is it either this week or last week? There's a World Rugby Summit in, I want to say, Paris. And I believe that after coronavirus being top of the list, I believe there's you know a day dedicated to the to the breakdown and players going in off their feet. and how, Because that, that, to me, actually is the biggest danger in uh in rugby and again you know i'm i'm played rugby to any level whatsoever but just watching the games you see how some of those hits you know as a a jacklin player is so exposed um but the game is is geared towards rewarding players jackling and you know we've done very well out of it as uh, as um you know wales as a team have done very well out of it over the over the past decade but it is so, so dangerous that when you've got a play, almost the better the player is at jackling, the more dangerous it is for them because players will fly in off their feet. And uh, that's, that is an area that does have to be, does have to be looked at. It was quite good yesterday because England obviously just gave up the ball a lot and didn't really uh, compete that much uh, in that area. So there was, there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, obviously they did, you know, a certain degree of times, but they also gave up the ball a lot as well. And so there was less of that sort of really horrible stuff. But, um, which does, I, I just want to say that, you know, probably you've already, you're going to mention it anyway, but Navidi, how the hell do you do, do you come back into an international rugby and perform like that straight off the bat? Well, as, as I famously once said, I think he's a club player. Jeez. 
God, I just have to mention that every time we talk about Josh Lewis because I could not have been more wrong. I think the only time I've been as wrong looking at any sportsman was I said I think I said Cristiano Ronaldo was you know a show pony and that was it when he was like eighteen at Man United. It's uh, he is just the the most remarkable player. His work rate is phenomenal to come back from injury and put in a performance at that level and to look equally comfortable six, seven and eight natural strength. And, uh, and, you know, and likewise the, the big role he played in the try, he's, uh, it's, it's so good to have him back in the side. Yeah. We, how we wouldn't have even dreamt of saying that he was, he was a, a, an absolute key member of the team eight, 18 months ago. No, I think, you know, he, I still had a feeling after that he played a phenomenal test match against New Zealand in the autumn of 2017 when I think it was, yeah, I think it was Steve Hansen went up to Warren Gatland and said, where did you get that guy playing seven? And even at that point, I thought, well, I'm glad, I'm glad he's, you know, he's, he's gone on and, and done well at, at international level, but he's still behind Ellis Jenkins and, I think I don't even think Sam had retired at that point. So he's always still behind, you know, Tipperick and and Ellis Jenkins and Sam Warburton. You know, even at that point, having having proved me so massively wrong against the the best side in the world, it's yeah, he's uh, he's just an absolutely phenomenal player. It's, he's just superb, and he he makes that back row he makes that back row tick. I think he really does. It's um, his importance. It, it really can't be understated. Uh, definitely. It reminds me of, uh, in a completely parallel universe, Mikel Antonio for West Ham. I can never understand why England don't even think about putting him in the squad. It's just one of those players who just think, why are you not playing at a high level? Surely you're good enough. Unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, I haven't watched enough uh, enough Premier League football over the past five, seven years to, to really pass judgment on that. But one player who I can't get over the fact that he's not playing for England in a uh, in a rugby jersey, I, I, I don't know how Henry Slade isn't a starter. I know he's had injury problems, but I'd be building a side around him. I think he is the most magnificent footballer. He'll go on that Lions tour. I think he'll go on that Lions tour ahead of George Ford, if you ask me. And I know it's too early to be talking Lions, but I just think he's of that quality that he looks brilliant at 10, 12, 13. And he did a lot of, he did a lot of the game at 15 yesterday. Just... I, you know, I, I would be building a side around him if I were Eddie Jones. He's the thinking man's Elliot Daly, which is bizarre, isn't it? Because they're both in the same team, but he's yeah. the better version. Uh, yeah, I, and you know, I, I think that I think Daly's a good player, but he's very much a winger rather than a, a fullback. And again, I think you know, I think he it kind of it brings out the best of him when he's he's moved out to the wing because he can just concentrate on on finishing defensively. You know, I think. He gets, he does get challenged under the high ball a bit, but when he's, you know, when he's got room to put that siege gun boot to uh, boot to ball, he can really peg sides back, and he's got a great counter attacking game. He just looks, he looks an international winger to me, Elliot Daly. Um, whereas Slade, I just think he, he looks comfortable anywhere. I really do. He's, 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 like, an, he's like an Australian. Uh, he is like an Australian player, player, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he is. There's a touch of the Matt Gittos about him. Yeah. that you even feel he could do a job at nine. He's, yeah. Um, yeah, he's just, it's just natural ability of being able to play what's in front of you um, and then have the skills to pull it all off as well. I, I really do think he's a fantastic player, but, um, and yeah, so I, lots went right for them yesterday and it, it's down to the fact that they were comfortably the better side for me. Um, 
to bring it back to your to your early points, I did feel that we were kind of blown away physically. That's that's where I think the main that our main problems were. And I also thought defensively they just they stopped us um, a lot of the time. You know, when you had these kind of these little kicks over over the side, bigger pulled off some nice ones, but when you had kind of you know Parks shanking a kick and then you had Tomkins kicking one backwards, I think that that to me showed the amount of pressure they were able to put on us defensively, and it it kind of stifled us. It was only really when they went down to to fourteen and thirteen that, that we really looked. Well, sorry, you know, obviously there was the try, but I, I think like it was defensively for me, they they definitely had the upper hand, and that was a big part in their victory. You can't have an international game without a, a without a Hadley Parks shank, though. It's 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 written in the laws of the of the of, of rugby that you have to have a, 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 a because he does that uh, he does that sardonic smile as well always afterwards. It's it's just has to be written into the contract, okay? And camera two, yeah, wry smile of regret from Hadley Parks. He's brilliant. Yeah, I, I mean, he, you cannot fault his, his, um, it's almost like Jamie Roberts level of, uh, what's the word stoicism and just being asked to go to places in terms of ball carrying that, you know, in the nineties, you wouldn't have made a number eight go. It's just carrying that, carrying that ball so flat and, and hard and running it, you know, running back on the angle is, is very, very tough. But part of me wonders whether, um, again, if I was Pivot, I would be tempted to have a look at someone else for the Scotland game. I, I think we know what we're getting with Hadley parks and, and Tomkins is playing very well. I just, what I wonder whether I'd, I'd be tempted to have a look at, at Tomkins as a, as an inside center and, and Watkin at 13 or, or yeah. vice versa. Totally agree. Completely a hundred percent. And I'm not knocking, not knocking Hadley Parks at all. Uh, also, he's his his trademark puffing out his cheeks in that look that says, "Oh, here I go again." Yeah. <laughs> oh, not me again, is it? Oh God, here we go. I love that look on his face. There is a, a, a weary resignation in the middle of the the pitch battle. He's still uh, wearing that look on his face. It's brilliant. I think particularly for a player who was held together with gaffer tape during the World Cup, has come back and had to, you know, played a lot of rugby, you know, she's straight away that barbarians game. You'd be thinking, all oh, right, well let's, let's give him a rest here. You know, a largely needless barbarians game. And it, you know, just because of the fact that there were no fit centers, no, go on, Hadley, get the shirt on again. Uh, he just had his first child. So it's, it's all the more reason for it to give it, give him the week off, but you're right. There were no other alternatives. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I'd be tempted to look at options now because it's, it's going to be interesting when because uh, I, I really do think we're onto something with Tomkins. I and have I, not, I, I think the not realised what a ball player he is. Yeah, no, he's, he's amazing. He's amazing. His uh, rubber ball like properties are incredible, and I, I just it's it might be a hunch. It's a, it is a hunch. It's nothing more than a hunch. The idea that walking can control the outside, like perhaps as well or even vaguely uh, to the standard of Jonathan Davis. Uh, that feels like something that in, in theory works. I don't know if it works in practice. And it, if, you're not, if you don't try it, you won't know. 
Well, I think the thing with with Owen Watkin is is defensively he is very solid. Now, to ask anyone in the world to play and control the channel at thirteen as well as Jonathan Davis does is a is a massive ask. But I do think defensively he is he's got a very solid um, you know solid foundation the way that the way that he defends and the the fact that he's got that he's got that strip in his armour that I think yeah. is so useful. You know, that is, that's as valuable as a turnover, isn't it? If, yeah. if you've got a center who is able to, um, to change possession like that, that's such a big asset that I'd be looking at that. And, and again, you know, attacking wise, he's got this, this wonderful sidestep that again, to, to put the romantic hat on harks back to the, to the seventies, I'd be, I'd be keen to see what those two can do together and just think Hadley parks, you know, he, he needs to, he needs to break. And, and, and we know what, we know what he's, he's able to do at 12, but for me, that would be a change I, I'd definitely be looking at. Yeah. I'm there with you right there, Jed. Anyone else you would be, you'd be, I mean, what do you do selection wise if you're Wayne Pivak for next week? Cause it's not as though, you know, I think if we'd have won the France game perhaps, and you know, we'd won the home games, lost our away games, the pressure wouldn't be on so much, but losing three in a row, which you know Gatlin never did. Again, that kind of the the ghost of Gatlin looming over him. What do you do with selection? Can you afford to experiment a few things? Because he's he's chopped and changed the whole way through. Oh, I I I don't think you say, okay, let's let's give it to the kids. It's just you change. You definitely change the team without a doubt. But it just doesn't necessarily mean you you ab, you abdicate ambition mm. in that in that you still you start with Carre because you think that Rob Evans might be better coming on and he didn't really, obviously it was never going to be easy to, 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 to make an impression against the England front five, but I, I would start carry. He has to be started at some point and uh, that has to happen. I would give Ryan Elias a game. Uh, God knows what we've got a tight head after Leon Brown looked obviously it could have been just a stinger, but he looked in in real discomfort. Yeah, uh, I looked at that, and for the record, again, trying to show BBC balance here, that was a penalty to England that wasn't given. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, if you've ever seen a no arms tackle, that was one. But yeah. it, it looked it looked so he dislocated his shoulder straight after, but he but he got up and carried on playing. You know, it was a it was a strange period of play. Scrummaged afterwards, but then Aaron, you know, mighty Aaron Shingler clearly it hurt him, his shoulder as well yeah, yeah I, I thought he dislocated his shoulder uh, and Alan Wynn was at Sparco so God knows what what sort of like it, that was a sort of cartoon birds around birds yeah, when he walked to the lineup and started talking I, I wouldn't have been surprised if he was speaking speaking in tongues it, it, it didn't he was so out for the count uh, Jake Ball's not going to be fit, so you know you're going to have to try people. And obviously, Adam Beard, I guess, would be um, he's fit, isn't he? Um, yeah, Adam Beard is fit. Uh, my, it doesn't look like he's hugely in favour. I would say if <laughs> if you're going to Twickenham and you're picking Aaron Shingler, it's not that you know I'm a big fan of Aaron Shingler, but. He is very much a six who can cover second row. If you're going with him as your as your option on the bench when Adam Beard is fit, that makes me think that that Pivak doesn't hugely fancy him. 
And um, but again, I, I don't know how bad this Will Rowland's knee injury is, but he made a big impression off the bench against France. It would be interesting to see if he was fit because I think that might just add a bit of dynamism for all of Jake Ball's heart and and you know thankless ball carrying. Just wonder whether that's an area where we've looked a bit a bit one dimensional. And yeah. I, I feel like you know if if Corey was fit, I, I definitely feel like he'd be starting. Yeah, without a doubt. But, but I think, yeah, the, the second row is going to have to be Hansa, who's, who's healthy and well. Uh, and then the back row stays uh, the same, I think. Uh, think. I think there's options there. You know, I, I uh, Navidi's come through it unscathed. The temptation is to to give him the games while he's while he's fit. You know, if you're throwing him in against England, really, you've, you've got to have him in there. And then you've got... Toby's still working his way back to fitness. Moriarty, who probably had a quiet game at Twickenham, I think has generally had a good tournament. And who have I missed out? Yeah, obviously, you know, Tipperick is Tipperick is presumably our leading try scorer in this tournament. Is he? You know, he's, he's getting through bags of work. And and I, I think for the back row is the area that I I, I looked at that first game of Wainwright, Tipperick, Falatau, and thought on paper that looks absolutely perfect. Wainwright hasn't quite hit the form that he had last season, I would say, and it's perhaps struggling a little bit for form. I've no doubt he'll bounce back. And then you've got Toby still, you know, he, he's probably had his quietest games in a red shirt um, in this six nations. And then you've had Tipperick kind of doing lots of work. Having Navidi back takes a lot of that donkey work away. From, I know it's a cliche. It frees him up wide channels, blah, blah, blah. But it, it does feel like having those two together is um, is a better balance. And then whoever you pick at eight, whether it's Moriarty or, uh, you know, I know Moriarty played six, but yeah. from a carrying perspective, he's kind of doing the eight role. And, you know, whether you pick Toby at eight or you pick Moriarty and move Navidi there. I don't know. I think there's, there's some nicer options to have. I'm less worried about that than I am the front five. No, I agreed. I mean, I, I, what I'm saying is that it's the it's the, the incumbents, either, mm. either you play... Palatau at eight against Scotland, but you don't suddenly bring somebody in from further away from that. No. What about number nine, which is something that I don't think Pivak knows who his, who his go-to nine is, and I don't think any of the candidates have made that shirt their own. Which direction would you be going? Well, I, if I was a betting man, it would be, I, I think he might pick Reece to start, mm. but, and obviously, um, you know, he's not alone in, in thinking that Webb is the, the classiest out of the lot, but I, I just would, I'd start with Thomas. Would you? Yeah, I would. Uh, I, I was surprised to see him come off after 45 minutes yesterday, having just played a key role in, in that try. And I found that a little bit strange, almost like it was a pre-rehearsed thing to leave it five minutes and then bring Webb on, like as if Webb only had 35 minutes in his legs or something. I don't know. I, I found that a bit odd considering that you just thought he does those things so well. He, he runs these kind of lazy lines, doesn't he, Thomas Williams, where he'll skirt offside and then bang, all of a sudden he's back onside running that supporting line. He's under the sticks or he's he's putting someone else in. And it's just, it's this kind of the, the game management box kicking thing. Is Webb the, the better option to control a game from the start and bring Williams on when it breaks up? 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I uh, again, and uh, nice to see another basketball move from yeah. Tom. Long may they continue. Along with the Hadley Parks shank is now yeah. a signature move in our game. Uh, but I don't know. I I I because Thomas's kicking has been considerably better than Gareth Davis's kicking. I I don't I I don't really think he's uh, his it's weak at all. And I I, I would just start I just start with Thomas because he's irrepressible and Webb Webb did look better than he looked I I, I was one of the possibly one of the few people perhaps that I I thought Webb looked all over the shop against Italy and then watched him play for Bath and he looked looked okay but he still there was the odd top tap down off a line out as if to and where he was nowhere to be seen as if to say you know you're supposed to give it to me Amrish Webb uh, I don't know. Um, uh, he's he's but he's working his way back in without a doubt. But I mean, undoubtedly, yeah. The the nine situation, as as you know, I like a, a sporting analogy, and with it being Cheltenham next week, this is the time for my tried and tested and very tired horse racing analogy. But I think if you look at the form of those nines, if Reese Webb pulls out his best games. He is undoubtedly the best nine out of them, but he's at that point in his career. Not that he's past it, but you know what I mean? There's, he's he's not going to get any better than he was. Thomas Williams has the most amount of opportunity to improve, um, but hasn't quite reached those standards yet. And then you've got Gareth Davis lurking in the wings, who's kind of been steady, reliable, and and scored lots of tries and, and helped massively defensively under that Sean Edwards system. But does he have, again, does he have more to give than he had, than he, than he's shown already? So it's, uh, it's an, it's an interesting dilemma. I think if Reese Webb was fully fit playing his best rugby, then it's, it's his shirt. And then the other two are fighting it out for, for who comes off the bench. But, uh, but I don't think it's as straightforward as that at the moment. No, it would be interesting. I, I, I just got to, just this feeling that he's going to pick Webb for some reason. Right. Yes. Yeah, so we we'll start to start to to wrap it up now. We should have a look ahead to the to the Scotland game, which since 2002, the home game against Scotland has been an absolute banker. We have not lost to Scotland since 2002. However, I do feel like this is uh, the proverbial banana skin coming up particularly after that performance they put in over France today yeah they looked all right didn't they and they've got they've got dynamism energy uh Hastings now has settled in to his role Mm. Uh, they've got gas it'll be and for some reason I just keep I always worry about their back row. Seems to ha- always have a good time. Again, going back to my being so terribly old as I am to the to the, to the just you know the countless times I've sat there and watched a Scottish number eight sort of plough over the line after being unopposed from a scrum from twenty four yards or something. It's the yeah they their back row always seems to sort of galvanise itself. Um, for games in Cardiff, so I can. Uh, 2002 is just like the day before yesterday. 
terms. I can, so the agony is, I've seen plenty of agony, not as much as Ireland, I have to say, but nonetheless. I tell it, you what, though, the it, while we're talking about back rows, I think they have got a pair of wild dogs in Hamish Watson and Jamie Ritchie. They are, you know, Hamish, animals. Hamish frightens me because yeah. he's, he's like... He's a character from the Dandy or the Beano or something. He's not like a human being. He just looks. He, he, he could easily have seen a badly drawn cartoon of Hamish Watson in one of those sort of 1970s comics. It just doesn't. He's incredible. He's, I, you know, yeah. He must have some. Again, he, he well, he showed us. He's shown us previously that his ability to bounce through. Our our defensive tackles. He's yeah. He's he's um very dynamic player. Yeah, he had a wonderful game last uh, last year in in Murrayfield. But uh, I I think that the pair of them today were absolutely superb and just really spoiled um spoiled the the French ball at the breakdown. Not not just those two, but in particular those two. And and I and I think that's an area that's there's been a weakness for us. And if you if you can't hang on to if you can't hang on to your own ball, then you you start to get in a bit of trouble. So I think that that team selection is going to be absolutely crucial next week in that you've got players. And I think this is, might be where Moriarty gets the nod is, you know, you're going to need, you're going to need some back row forwards and some front five forwards who are going to go in there and absolutely smoke them uh, um, at the breakdown because you give those two anything to, to, to get after. And they're like a, Again, I haven't got an analogy for it, but yeah, the wild dogs is the the closest that I can come to for the pair of those. Would you, just in terms of the selection, would you, would you just be cautious and careful, or if if you if you had a if you weren't as as pessimistic as you appear to be on the roads after the after the after yesterday, how would you approach it with a with obviously with caution but yeah I would be I know I would definitely make some changes I think the back row I would go with why don't I start with the front row Jed that would be a much more logical place to start wouldn't it uh, front row yeah I, look, I think no one has nailed down their their place I would keep Ken Owens for consistency uh, I think if oh, would I go for this one yeah go on I would go Reese Carey in uh, just as a you know, again, scr- scrummaging wise, it's, they had a good day today, but it's perhaps not the biggest threat in the world, the Scotland scrum. So I, I would have him in there for all his ability in the loose. Tight heads, you know, again, I, Dylan Lewis has, has had hard times in the in the loose, uh, sorry, in the, in the tight, but I'd be tempted just to keep him in for this game. Second row, I would be looking, like we said, I think if, if Rollins is fit, I'd bring him in. If he's not, I'd have Beard and Alan Wynn. Then the back row, I would go with Moriarty, Tipperick, Navidi. I would go Reese Webb at nine, Dan Bigger at 10, Tompkins, Watkin, and then in the back three, Halfpenny, Liam Williams, and George North, who, let's finish on a positive, seeing as I have not been particularly positive. I, I think watching that game, watching that game back, 
there is a lot to be positive about George North in that. I know when you looked at that try where they went over in the corner, it was easy to look at that as his mistake. Uh, they they called it out at half time. Actually, it was probably half penny who jagged in North yeah. it to the right line there. Um, S4C called it as half penny's mistake. Fair play for them straight away. Yeah. And um, and I think in the second half he showed more of that George North of 2012 wanting to find grass rather than run into people. And I think that was really encouraging. So I, um, yeah, I would definitely be sticking with North and, and thought for a guy who has, has been struggling for form, not to the, to the point where the, you know, the vilification he's had on, on social media, which has kind of almost reached Cuthbert like level. Um, it's not been to that, you know, he's not been as bad as people have been saying, but he has been a player who's been short form. I think he's moving in the right direction. So I'd hope that you get him out there and, and get him on the score sheet. That's, uh, so that would be my side. It's interesting that you say watching it back because that's exactly what I did and exactly the same um, the same uh, conclusion. Even in the heat of the game yesterday, I think the the whole anti George North thing mm. it, it's like a it's like a fever. It, 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 um, I didn't see the good work that he did until I watched it back again, and he did loads and loads of good things. And he looked, uh, he he carried up just over the game line. He looked more dynamic. He didn't, he didn't, he, yeah. He just looked more, more. I th- it looked like Pivac had got things through to him, got a message across. Uh, and I, 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 you know, it's really unfair to then go when obviously Liam went off that McVick. I I would like to see. McNichol not be the first option to come on on the wings. Uh, obviously, there's the Reese Zamet uh, sort of cavalcade of of, uh, of uh, clamour mm. be there or thereabouts, and it I might think, be. Uh, yeah, I think you have to have you have to cap him. So uh, you know, I think having him on the bench would be a, would be a definite option. Um, Unless they really just don't think he's ready for international rugby, and again, they're you know they're in the the camp day in day out. They'll know better than me. But my gut my gut feeling is that we, with there being less on the line than if we had something to play for, I would have him on the bench and um, and look to get him on and, and get his first taste of international rugby at home in a game that you know there's not really any dead rubbers in the Six Nations, but this is as close to one as you're going to get. So I'd. Um, I would I would have him in the match day twenty three because again I think you know what you're going to get from McNichol. And do you feel annoyed or and or do you feel and that it's understandable that people are saying crazy the crazy talk about whether Pivac's proved himself yet or whether there are major doubts about him or as um, it is crazy talk because it's four games in. You know what? Um, you know, how might Warren Gatland's first uh, first Six Nations have looked if we hadn't have come back at Twickenham? You know, would that have would that have gone completely south? Would we have been going into that with going into that last weekend with just a win against Italy? Um, but at the same time, I, I you know, I, hopefully there is there's enough there to build on. But it's it's been a tricky it's been a tricky tournament, no doubt about it. And there's there's more questions than answers, I would say. But 
you know, what coach, what coach can come in straight after Gatland and, and have an immediate impact? We were spoiled that Gatland came in and, and did the job that he did in 2008. And lest we forget four months earlier, we were in, uh, you know, an absolute shambles, arguably the worst in, in the professional era that Wales had experienced. So to come on, rip that up with the experience he brings, I think it, I, I think Pivak will be disappointed with how this has gone, but I don't think that we have to we have to start going. Oh God, right? Well, let's get that contingency in plan for for when his break clause is up in in year two. You've got to you've got to back him at this stage. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I I don't understand how we have how we've become so spoiled, and how we more importantly how we don't understand that we've been spoiled. And almost as if we've taken it for granted. It's just so weird because it's not like us either as a nation to, to take these things for granted. But there we are. But there we go. Anyway, quick score prediction before uh, before we leave it, Yestin. Uh, closer than we'd probably like. Uh, seven, eight points to win. Okay. Uh, I'm going to continue in the melancholic vein and... No, we're going to win. We're going to win. Go on, let's go for it. I'm going to go Wales by two. Wales by two. It will be a close game, but I think there might just be a a, a damn bigger penalty to to win it at the death or something uh, or something equally as dramatic. Well, it and it'll be entertaining. It'll be it'll be it'll it, there will be mistakes. Sorry, everyone, but let's just let's just that's what happens. It's, it, it was never perfect under Warren, it, it, you know. It, no, it, and, and do you know what? That is the point to finish on is, you know, Warren Gatlin's last win in the Six Nations at Twickenham was 2012, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, what, two wins in, two wins out of five there. Obviously, there was the World Cup one as well, which, you know, <laughs> let's not gloss over that. But, um, you know, it wasn't perfect at Twickenham. There were games where, you know, 2016 at Twickenham, was a very similar game to that one yesterday where we got, we got a couple of late tries at the end, but a game that we were largely outplayed in, but he had the credit in the bank. You know, he had the, the world cup semi-final from 2011, the grand slam, the win in 2013 and the, the win over England. Yeah. He, he had lots of credit in the bank by now, right now. Yeah. Wayne, Wayne Pivak is on a, a 0% credit card and, uh, <laughs> and that, and that interest starts, starts ramping up pretty soon. So, um, I think he just needs he just needs some some results to to keep the the wolf from the door. Yeah, and I think he needs to. We need to give him some credit for the fact that there have been moments of excitement that, that we don't have to just have credit based on just based on grinding out wins. I think. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right, and uh, yeah, and to be fair, one of those uh, one of those moments is definitely that try from Justin Tipperick yesterday. So that's a nice that's a nice uh, a nice point to finish on. So uh, thank you. This what you're almost cheery now. Oh yeah, almost, almost. But uh, yeah, look, yesterday it's been uh, it's been great to chat to you. Nice to have the uh, nice to have the the role reverse. That's two appearances in a row where you've been positively optimistic. So. Um, yeah, let's uh, maybe this is your alter ego, Western or Leston or whoever it might be. But uh, but thanks uh, very much for joining us. And uh, yeah, no doubt we'll get you back on the pod again very soon. Lovely. Thanks, Jed.
thanks for listening to this week's episode hope you enjoyed that one always enjoy chatting to Yestin even though we wind each other up about being uh, being miserable he uh, genuinely is one of those guys who I absolutely love to chat rugby with so uh, again big thanks to him for joining us time now though to give away the tickets to that Wales versus Scotland game thanks to our friends at the Indigo group and the winner is Bethan so on Twitter it's Bethan at, at Bethan half P so congratulations to you Bethan we'll be in touch and let you know how to get your hands on those tickets and thank you to everyone who entered and uh, yeah if you weren't lucky enough to win those tickets then don't worry there's still opportunities for you to win tickets to Welsh Premiership games every week which of course the Indigo Group sponsor so make sure you do follow them on Twitter um, and you can do that by following their handle which is at Indigo Group you can also keep an eye on the hashtag hash, hashtag win tickets Wednesdays and uh, yeah they give away tickets to um to Indigo Group Premiership games every single week there on a Wednesday, so we always give that a bit of a um, a bit of a boost on social media as well. So make sure you do stay tuned to those guys. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks for listening, and we'll be back to chat rugby with you very very soon. <laughs>